Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Welcome to episode 39 of the Stay Grounded podcast. Hope you're all having an amazing day. Uh, This week's guest is a friend of mine and an incredibly enlightened soul, Dr. Steve Young. So Steve had, I had listened to him talk at a recent uh, conference and I immediately was drawn to the title of his presentation, which was loving your way to 150 years old. So Steve is a, uh, a functional medicine doctor whose moonshot goal is to help a billion people love their way to building their greatest legacy by providing the tools and systems for success. So he really has developed a holistic healing system that, and this is beyond a diet or beyond a way of life or beyond a yes and no list. He's created almost a framework for just approaching food, approaching uh, goals, exercise, and just everything you do in your life with a lens that allows you to make the most of any type of lifestyle you're really wanting to experience. And so that was one of uh, the most profound talks I had been to all year. And so I had to have him on the show. And I am just so grateful for everything he shared on this episode because I walked away. I mean, my my notes were just running rampant. Uh, walking away with some of the insights that he was sharing about your relationship with food and uh, the way that you can almost hack discipline and willpower and and just find a way to to live life uh, beyond what the media is telling you to do or or just the yes and no culture that we've sort of adopted over the past several decades. So Steve is an incredible human being. He's got, if you want to learn more about Steve and everything he's up to, drsteveyoung.com. Uh, it's, he's got a wealth of information on just how to infuse more health and happiness into your day-to-day life in a way that you want to do. So anyways, uh, check him out, get in touch with him, uh, do whatever you need to do and just enjoy this episode because I sure did. Uh, before we get started, uh, don't forget, subscribe, rate, review, uh, the podcast on iTunes. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, and just get in touch, uh, be a part of the community. And give feedback because I do read every single review uh, that comes in and I do everything I can to change and and grow and morph the podcast to be something that you guys want. So anyways, hope you guys uh, enjoy this episode. So without further ado, here's Dr. Steve Young. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Stay Grounded Podcast. Oh, man, super excited. God, I'm so pumped. Steve, my man, how are you? Woo, doing well. Oh, my gosh. So uh, just to give everybody a little bit of context, uh, I heard Steve's, I've, I've known Steve for a while, but I really got exposed to his brilliance when I was at an event recently. 
uh, where he shared uh, one of the most insightful conversations um, and insights that I've heard in a very long time. And so after I heard that, I had to ask Steve to, to make some time in his day to spend time with us. And here he is. So uh, Steve, just grateful to have you here, man. Yeah, super excited to be able to share sort of some of my passions with your amazing audience. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's dive in. So I, uh, I already introduced you in a nutshell um, before the show started, but so I want to I dive into to actually one of the bigger questions that I had um, when I was doing my due diligence on you, and that's about your moonshot goal. Um, it's a pretty crazy vision or goal uh, for any one human being to have, I'm curious, how did that, how did you land on this? What is the path that you took to come, uh, to where you are right now, where this is what you want to share with the world and how did that become a part of your story? Yeah. Yeah. In general, I call it the, uh, following the magical breadcrumbs from the universe. Right. So it wasn't like when I was a young kid, I was like, all right, this is, this is what I'm going to do. What I did know from a, a young age, you know, around 14 is that's when I started looking into um, like personal development stuff, right? And so that started this whole journey of like learning how to think like effective thinkers, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but when I was younger, it wasn't like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, help a billion people be healthy. I was just still exploring like any teenager, like, you know, what, what we're going to be um, passionate about, but I was always passionate about like just fitness stuff. Right. So like working out and healthy things. And so it was just this constant, you know, twist and turn journey where um, at first I was like a personal trainer. Then I kind of realized I wanted to do more than just like, you know, helping people look sexy when they're naked. Right. (laughs) And and then that kind of evolved into, well, let let me look into and explore um, healing. And so then I went into physical therapy and uh, became a physical therapist and then um, in that time, I was really into supplements. And so I used to custom make certain supplements for people. And then they were like, hey, why don't you get a manufacturer to, to make it instead of you in your kitchen, like mixing a bunch of, you know, magical powders. Okay. So like that, that started, yeah, like that started <laughs> uh, a year into being a physical therapist. The person I worked for was like, hey, let's partner up and start. I was like, yes. And so I, I just basically said yes to everything and just kind of figured it out from there. And some things worked. And some things didn't. And so in my journey of healing people, um, what really magnified the, you know, from like a million to a billion, basically. So I you know, had this goal when I was young to, uh, instead of making a million dollars, I had this goal of like being able to write a check for a million dollars and give it to charity. Mm. Right? Because I felt like that was just more selfless than just making a million dollars. And what really turned into from that to like helping a billion people was when I spent time with uh, Branson on Necker Island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was... Definitely a turning point. Just kind of seeing how 26 of us in three hours like solved world problems, almost not effortlessly, but almost effortlessly, just kind of through discussions. And it wasn't like, oh my God, we're stressed. How do we do this? Like everyone just kind of gave their input. And so that experience really helped shift my mindset into, wow, like if you just work with amazing people, um, helping a billion isn't as crazy as it sounds. And so that was yeah. sort of like the, the journey towards that. That's a beautiful journey. It sounds, and it's, I love that you broke it back down to, I just said yes to everything because that's such a simple concept that almost all of, actually every one of us can practice and implement immediately in our lives. Now I want to go back to um, 
your, your kind of when you first got into fitness, mm-hmm. was there a turning point or an experience that you remember at some point in your life where you went from wanting to do, uh, to make people look sexy to wanting to heal them? Was there, cause that's, a, I mean, like when I think about things that drive me, like they're always rooted in some sort of like turning point. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a turning point for you? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, so like two, two different experiences kind of intersected to cause this turning point. Right. And so one was, I was just learning, um, enough about the body where I felt like I could do more with this information than simply helping people like design their workouts and their diet plans. The other was just by then I was already like reading mindset stuff. Uh, for about six years at that point. So what I started to notice in the fitness industry was that the implied message, like in many industries, is that you're fat and ugly now unless you do my program. Mm. But that was such a turnoff for me um, that I, I really just wanted to kind of get out of that um, that industry. You know, right. and so just, I just felt like so many people were coming to me already um, brainwashed with that message. Like, I am just not good enough unless... I lose my five pounds unless I can bench 50 pounds more, unless they were just chasing that internal carrot. And I felt like I was in a way perpetuating that. Right. And so I I really started to like, how do I just shift to healing instead of, you know, the helping them chase that carrot. And it was really 10 years after in the healing phase. And I kind of discovered how do we help people out of that mindset? And so, yeah. I think that's a great segue because I've been curious when you say healing, are you healing the body or are you healing the mind, the spirit, and in what combination are all three of those sort of playing together to create uh, really this abundant lifestyle that you're advocating for? Yeah. So at first, of course, it was just, we'll call it um, physical or mechanical healing, right? As a physical therapist, you know, we work with muscles, tendons, and joints and bones and things. And again, from, from doing that, you know, I've been doing this 20 years, right? And so like the first 10 years was purely mechanical. And like, I used to obsess, like I used to have dreams of me treating patients. Like I was like, you know, healing in my sleep. Right. So, um, we all kinds of research and eventually once you like anything, once you sort of learn a lot about that topic, I mean, at least for me, it almost felt like I needed to know more, like how do I heal or help people deeper? And also it helped keep it more interesting. Right. I, you know, I tell patients all the time, if, if you're here simply for me to do the mechanical stuff, it is deathly boring. Right. Cause you know, I can, I like, I usually tell people like, I can just write it on a piece of paper, follow this. And in eight weeks, like you're, you're going to feel better. And so around 10 years into it was when I started to look at, okay, how do we heal people um, completely, which is what I call it. Right. So like holistically, right? how do we add in the emotional aspect, the energetic aspect, um, and even the chemical aspect, right? Because a human body is made from, you know, the physical self, which is comprised of our, our mechanical parts, but also there's the chemical self, right? Like our, neurotransmitters and all the foods that we're eating that affects our chemicals. And then there's this whole, you know, world of energy, spiritual stuff that affects a human. Yeah. And so eventually we did these healing retreats. I had this experiment. I was like, Hmm, what if, what if we got people who are like the best chemical experts, the best mechanical experts and the best, we'll call it energy, emotional, spiritual experts. And we actually did all three at once on a human. What would the effects of that be? And, we found it was like miracles happen. Like people who couldn't walk, walked in two hours. It was pretty wow. Incredible. Yeah. So, okay. Talk me through that. So now 
you're combining all three parts of the human experience and, and you're healing all three of those at the same time. How do you know which one had a greater effect over the other when yep. you're doing all of that at the same time? Yep. For sure. In the beginning. So this was four years, three and a half years ago. In the beginning, when it was just an ex, like an experiment, right? I, I, mean, I treat life as like, say yes, figure it out. And then as a scientist, let's just look at the data and see what happens. It's kind of exciting. <clears throat> so in the beginning, we didn't know, right? We was, it was like the shotgun approach. Like, let's do maximum chemical healing. We had like, you know, as people were learning about uh, mindset stuff, they were right. getting IV drips of nutrients into their body as they're learning the mindset stuff, right? And then afterwards, we would treat them mechanically and work on their muscles and align their bodies we didn't know. We, we basically like threw everything at them and we just saw these miracle things happen. Right. And so anything from literally a person with nerve damage who, when he stood up, he had to like hold on to furniture because he couldn't feel his legs literally like two hours later, like stood up normally. And we have like amazing before and after videos Wow! from that kind of mechanical miracle to psychological miracle. We had a a kid that came and um, I shared a cab ride with him uh, to the airport, leaving the event. And he was like crying as he was telling me like, for the first time, I feel like something in my life is possible. Right. And so like major, you know, psychological, emotional breakthroughs. And, um, at that point I, I couldn't identify like what was needed most because we just kind of like gave everything, um, to the people. So, but flash forward three and a half years later from playing in that space, <clears throat> to answer your question, how do we know? Um, there's an intuitive sense, mm. the best way to put it. Um, a lot of times from tapping and practicing, we all have this ability of heightened intuition. We, you know, Our reality is so much more than the five senses that we have. And so all humans can practice this sense of intuition <clears throat> and sense people's energies and uh, and use that data to to discern what is what is needed most. You know, I just read this amazing book that was given to me by Cheryl, you know, shaman yeah. that we know. And yeah, and so in shamanism, they're they're trained to that's the in, they work with energy, and they can literally sense people's energies and see um, how do we affect the person's energy to heal their bodies. It's it's fascinating. There's like this whole other world. I mean, I love the idea of manufacturing miracles, which. I think is like, it's, it's such a taboo concept that's not really talked about enough. So if you have a heightened sense of intuition and you learn to sort of sense what's happening around you, how do you start manufacturing miracles in your own life? Like what's the starting steps for someone to just start manufacturing, whether you want to call it luck or, or it's uh, just more of what you want. I mean, how do you, how do you get down the path of like consciously just bringing miracles into your life? I've, uh, meditated on this for like 20 years. So yeah. So, um, it's interesting. So, um, we're all taught in Western society to be goal driven right? and, and typically it's smart goals, like simple, measurable timeframe, realistic goals. However, um, being very focused and goal driven is like a horse with blinders on, like they're going to get from A to B, but as they're running from A to B on that track, they're not noticing, wow, there's the girl with a pretty red hat there. Oh, wow, this other horse next to me is actually sweating more than I am. Who knows? And so I, I call it, um, you want to have goals, but you also want to practice um, taking off your blinders and being open to, to what I call magic, right? And so because on your way there, what if? We call it God, we call it universe, whatever, um, spirits, many names for it. What if they um, are all-knowing 
and they they have an idea that this path for you that you have chosen may actually, even though you want it really badly, may not be the best path for your fulfillment, your happiness, right? You can call it destiny. And they're literally constantly dangling these little signs next to you in your peripheral vision. But if you're very focused, you won't see it in your peripheral vision because you're so focused on the goal, right? So that's the way I experience reality. And what I find is that you want to have these goals. Part of the process of removing the blinders is being um, detached from the outcome of the goal, right? So you kind of read about this a lot. It's like having the goal, but detach from the outcome and be open to the periphery, I call it. These, these, if you start to notice, those, for many of us, there are some repeated hints of things, repeated patterns. And those are little signs, you know, again, spirit, God, soul, many names for it, are, are trying to tell you something. And so you get to recognize those patterns and, um, and see, and just, you know, journal with yourself, write down, like, what, what is this? What is, what is trying, what is God, universe, trying to reveal um, that is in my best interest and just see what comes up. Now, when you say, okay, so let's say now I've, I've started being more aware of the periphery. Um, are you, are you suggesting that miracles are then experiences that happen outside of what you're expecting? Like, so, so the, so the miracles are really the periphery, like whatever comes in your periphery and saying yes to that, that becomes the miracle. For sure. Right. Because if you think about it, if you have a goal and you achieve a goal, it's not a miracle, right? You had an expectation of achieving a goal. Miracles are the unexpected, mm. right? Just almost by definition. That's a, that's an amazing, that's actually a, a really powerful reframe. So how does, okay. So let me, let me ask you this in your own life, just by saying yes, saying yes to more things, how has that fruitfully shown up? Give me an example of how, like, or a story of, of how just the power of saying yes has led you to something that you didn't expect you were going to have. Sure, sure. So um, it was at a Maverick event, right? And we're literally, you know, watching uh, Brian Smith, founder of Uggs, talk. And he talks about um, when he had the idea for Uggs, he had these, you know, it was like his goosebump moment, he called it. He had his goosebumps. He knew it was going to be this big thing. And I remember in that, in that moment, I, I could feel like, you know, when you can feel like someone's like staring at you, right? And so I could feel like someone's looking at me. I look over and Tracy, who's fellow Maverick, is looking at me. It's like, oh, didn't think anything of it. So afterwards, she's like, she had a goosebump moment. She's like, you know, we have these active um, workstations at our office and it's done amazing for my company. I want to get this out into all offices, but obviously I am not an expert in the human body. You are. Let's, let's join forces. Let's, let's see what comes out of this. And uh, how can we get this into the world? And I said, yes, that night over shots, right? <laughs> and, uh, and now fast forward two years later, we have an amazing uh, team with some, and, and so, and literally one of the team members we brought on board was a roommate from a net, another Maverick event, like almost three years ago. And we're literally building something that's going to change how people work in the future. Like you're literally going to be more healthy while you're working on your computer. So that's a great example of just saying yes over shots at a bar. There's no operating agreement, no like let's discuss percentages, none of that. It was just like, let's do this. And then we went forward with it. How do you cultivate the trust to say yes more often? Yeah. Yeah. So part of the detach from outcome, right? Because, you know, just think that's like saying detach from success, right? And so the, the world operates in dichotomies. It's like a pendulum that swings both ways, right? Everything has opposites. 
And so what I'm saying from when you practice detachment from success, you ideally would also practice detachment from failure. Mm. Right. And so when you're detached from the failure, then it doesn't matter. You just say yes. Right. Ultimately, whether it works out or not, if you're detached from the outcome, the success of it, you're also detached from the failure. You practice one and the same. So how do you, let's say you have, but okay, let, let me ask you this. So let's say, you know, I have shiny object syndrome. So if I take my blinders off, yeah. there's a part of me that wants to say yes to everything, right? There's a part of me that notices so many, so many beautiful things that so many amazing relationships, but I know that, you know, part, like I, I have to stay focused. Otherwise I won't like, so how do you balance the two? Um, balancing yes with, with, with staying focused. Yep. Yep. So these days I run it through. So from saying, um, enough yeses, like in the beginning it is like, um, just think about it. The, the first time, you know, it could be first time you work out. It could be first time you're running your business, right? You have your hands in everything, right? But, and you're trying all kinds of different stuff, but eventually you kind of figure out like what works for you. Right. And then you become like, you find your, your unique genius. Right. And so this is the process of saying yes. If you have never done it in the beginning, you're going to say yes to everything just to feel it out. Right. You're going to feel out. It's like practicing and some things are going to work out and some things aren't going to work out. But as you practice that, you're, you're going to, by saying yes to enough stuff, you get all this data coming into your brain and your soul universe that starts to formulate a pattern. And that pattern essentially can be, you want to call it your passion, your purpose, all that stuff. Right. And then once you have that passion purpose now defined from saying yes enough, you have enough data, then you run everything through that filter. Like for me these days, for me to say yes to a project, I run it through a filter. Is this, when the success of this comes, is this in any way contributing to my vision of helping a billion people? And if it's a no, then I say no to it. But this wasn't always like this, right? This is just, you know, recently. So how was it before? Can yeah, you the before I just say yes to everything. In, in the beginning, I just said yes to everything. And, you know, obviously some things didn't work out. You know, someone approached me about doing like this event to help um, girls not tear their ACL, like their knee injuries. I said, yes, we invested a hundred grand. We lost a hundred grand. Like not everything works out, right? But from saying yes enough over the last, you know, decades, you start to, it's almost like if you don't, you don't have that much data. You're like, you're, it's like yeah. you got to go see the world to figure out like where you want to go. Yep. If, you, if you're too protected, then you don't have the data to be like, oh, I want to go in, in this direction. So saying yes, is like just, you're feeling everything out. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. Now, if I wanted to fast track my journey, right? You know, just from your own experience, from what you've lived over the past several years, saying yes so many times and building your filter so clear, if I wanted to fast track my journey um, to really get there, let's say twice as fast or three times as fast, how would you go about doing it all over again? Yep. Well, so many, so many levels of answers. To, um, I, I would say, you know, the, the generic answer, maybe the PC answer uh, would be, you know, you meditate. Right. And so meditating is kind of like taking all that data that just happened, whether it be that day, that week, that month, and, you know, and see, it's almost like, you know, filing, like if your desk is, you know, a bunch of paperwork and each day you add some paperwork, meditation is kind of like, all right, let's file it here and file it there and organize. And then when it's, we have a neat desk, you go, oh yeah, I can, I can be so much more productive and see and, and have a, a clear idea. So for sure, you know, um, a daily meditation practice is huge. Um, also, 
um, just because of the fact that we live under, you know, delusions, right? Like we have cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias always happening to our brain, meaning, you know, we have beliefs that sometimes we don't even realize we have, and then our brain only see things to support those beliefs. And then if we see things that don't support it, our brain just makes up a lie to, to discredit it, right? It's all designed to protect our sanity. So recognizing that um, to fast track, you can always have a, a, you know, develop a tribe of people that you trust and have them because they'll be able to see your true beliefs and true things that you are hidden. And so having a network, a, a tribe of people that you trust and having regular meetings with them, where you just talk about life and talk about business and everything, they'll be able to give you input that your brain just isn't seen because of the cognitive distances and the confirmation bias. That's another tip. Um, and then, so one of the ones out there is, you know, I guess you could go to South America and um, do some plant medicines. <laughs> there. Um, yeah. For sure, that is going to fast track um, uh, as well. So those would be my three, three tips. That's good. And I love that because they're essentially tips. So meditation is almost like isolation. And then, and then getting a tribe or friends or mentors or whatever, whatever person you can bounce off of is community. So it's almost like you're balancing this, this self-care, like self-care is combined into bringing people into your life as well as taking people away from you. Um, so how do you define self-care? Like in 2018 today, you know, what is self-care to you? Um, and how to, and how is it practiced efficiently for individuals on a daily basis? Sure. Essentially self-care, I would say is any intention, um, prioritizing of the self, right? And so, you know, um, for all the people who, who did the supplements, one of the questions I asked everyone in the survey is let's just rank, you know, um, family, self, um, business, uh, relationships, like, you know, let's rank that. Right. And just I wanted to see insight as to how people are prioritizing their their self relative to other aspects of life. So to me, anytime that you have an intention of self above something else, that is, that is self-care. Right. And so just super broad and, and simple that way. And so um, part of, of implementing that in, in a in a way that doesn't like hinder like, oh, I have to go to the gym or oh, I have to go get a massage or, Ooh, I have to do this. And we're thinking like we're taught at a young age to, to segment and structure and label everything we have to, right? Cause we don't have the wisdom yet to see the world as is. So we have to be like, this is work time. This is family time. Um, this is self care time. This is my workout time. This is my vacation time. So we segment everything. So I'm just using time as an example, but as we get older, right, that operating system may not be the most serving. We now have the wisdom to take away some of the labels. And what's magical about that is just imagine, like, let's say you're, you're working, right, on the computer and you decide to, like, sit in a, in a half squat position for a minute at a time and you just do that 10 times a day. Well, you're technically self-caring, like you're, you're putting some tension into your muscles, which is extremely healthy. You're like working out basically while you're also working on the computer. So to me, how you implement it is you start to get rid of the labels and you overlap your activities. You're not multitasking. You're overlapping this whole grand thing I just call life. Like you just take out the labels, right? It's like you just ask yourself a question, like how do I get my productivity in today? in a way that is serving of my health and my happiness. And then the answer will come and you'll figure out how do I, how do I do that? That's a brilliant filter. I actually really love that because if you start asking everything with that, 
Like I found that even in my diet, like I found that when I ask myself something about like, is this going to make me happier later? Or is this going to, or something along those lines, I tend to make better decisions. Uh, if you had to give someone a set of questions they can ask themselves mm-hmm. to challenge a lot of the existing relationships that they have with the habits they've built, what would those be? Great question. Yeah. So, um, I mean, this is a great, you know, tie into like, you know, I believe that, you know, if you look at the research, right. So the, the five root causes of, of all diseases, one of them is stress, right? So this is a big one. And so, uh, I'm a huge fan of asking a question of, um, what's the relationship with stress that I can put in place that again, allows me to do all the things I want in life, but also is serving of my relationships, my health, my happiness, right? Because remember, stress, just like water, just like cheesecake, is not good or bad, right? Because stress is necessary. If you actually lived a life with, you know, people talk about like, I want to reduce my stress or I have no stress or life with no stress. If you actually lived a life of zero stress, your resilience, your cells would adapt to no stress and your resilience would decrease. You would actually die easier. Right. And think about it. A workout is a stressor. If you go and run, right, you're taxing your body. It's a physical stressor. And then your body adapts to that stress. Right. So running is healthy. Right. If you go and run two miles, if you're used to, let's say, running, run two miles, two miles is healthy. But if you run, if you're used to running two miles and you run 20 miles the next day and then 20 miles again and 20 miles again, that's too much stress. Right. So stress innately is not good or bad. It's excessive high levels of it in our relationship with that that then develops a unhealthy process. And so that question of what relationship, everything we have has to do with the relationship of that thing. So what's a relationship with stress that I can put in place that allows me to you know, get my things done that I wanna do that is serving of my health relationships and happiness, right? And you can literally just repeat that process. What's a relationship with food, right? That I can put in place that also serves my, and it just, you can literally just like substitute it's like the one master frame template and just like substitute relationship. Um, you know, so it could be stress. It could be food. It could be, it could be anything. You just run it through that filter. And I feel like our brains have infinite wisdom and it just, the power is in the question. Hmm. I love that. The power is in the question. Um, let me, so let's, let's, let's dive deeper because this relationship concept is something that that's what I, I actually was most impressed about when I, when I heard you speak, was the relationship between uh, between food and 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 me actually enjoying the food? Like I didn't think the, what you had explained, and I'd love for you to dive deeper in this because I think it's really powerful. The relationship, if I like a certain type of food, it's not necessarily that I like the food. I like what that food represents. Um, can you dive deeper into that just to, to give some of the listeners some context? Because I think there's a really powerful lesson there. Yeah, I think, you know, um, most people who have any previous experience or attempts in changing their food, also known as dieting, right? Yeah. Because they're basically trying to change their food intake to then have a certain level of health or to most typically um, look a certain way. And so while the mass media and most of the people are, are saying, um, they're, they're looking at the tactical stuff, which is what foods to eat, right? Is it, is it keto? Is it paleo? Is it high carbs, low carbs? Is it sugar, not sugar? All the tactical stuff. But ultimately, it's our relationship, right? Our relationship with food and dictates our food choices. It dictates everything, 
And so just being clear on what is your current relationship with food. And, and a lot of people don't even know this because there's no, not aware of, not that I'm aware of, like mass media, very popular programs that says, um, let's figure out what are your emotions as it relates to broccoli? What are your emotions as it relates to cheeseburger and cheesecake, right? And so I feel like that for so many things is where the root cause is, right? They're trying to treat the symptoms. The symptoms is you might be eating too much cheesecake and they're going to say, don't eat cheesecake, eat paleo instead. But ultimately the root thing is, well, what's the relationship? What is cheesecake giving me? And so a lot of times from talking to people, it's very common that people will feel discomfort and that discomfort typically at night, it could be, you know, the, I call it the superficial answer could be boredom. And then the deeper answer could be loneliness, sadness, um, anxiety, um, these relationships with these these emotions, and then the cheesecake or cheeseburger helps them feel better, right? When they eat it, they get this temporary like, oh, I feel I feel better. But then typically, uh, because they judge that food as being bad, then after they feel better, they feel guilt from eating those foods, and that's the cycle, right? And so, and people are stuck in that that emotional relationship cycle, and it perpetuates. And so, most people are saying solve it by not eating cheeseburger and cheesecake and eat again, these foods, I'm a huge fan of, well, let's just, let's just look at the relationship. Let's work on the emotions as it relates to these foods, because how we do anything is how we do everything, right? And so I'm sure that their relationship with food and how they're using food, I guarantee you, if we talk to them deeply, they're, they're doing the same thing with people. They're doing the same thing with work. It will show up in other areas of life. It's all really has to do with the relationships. So I want to go back to the concept of, um, you know, you said goal setting and then the peripheral and, and, and bring that back to self-care. So let's say um, I know that cheeseburgers are bad for me, but I know that eating this cheeseburger might make me happy. How do you balance self-care like how do you know like, like is, is there a lens you can look at different things whether it be exercise or um, or like hanging out with friends or just any experience through a lens of because i feel like i'm smart enough to trick myself into thinking that hey this is really good for me sure yeah. so, like how do you how do you manage that dialogue to where it's actually productive and not necessarily feel like you're missing out or or that you're not experiencing every every spectrum of life yep yeah so i'll give you a little little example like you know, if I said, hey, Raj, um, if you go and murder that person, um, you would make a billion dollars, right? I guarantee you're probably like, that's crazy. I'm not, I'm not going to go kill anyone, right? Because it violates your core values, right? And so the core values ultimately will govern a lot of stuff down, downstream. And so I tell it, well, what are the core values we can put in place when it comes to food that won't allow you to violate some things, right? And so the I, three simple core values, like one is 80-20. 80% of the time, if you eat healthy foods, the other 20%, it doesn't matter. It truly doesn't matter, right? And so, and some people ask, well, how do you define healthy? To me, it's, it's not calories. It's not sugars or fats. It's anything that hasn't been through a machine, right? Because typically, if it's been through a machine, especially in America, unfortunately, it most likely has been uh, contaminated with chemicals, Right. So anything that doesn't have an ingredients list, basically, right? Does it hasn't been through a machine? Hasn't been packaged? If you eat that stuff eighty percent of the time, the other twenty percent, go have your cheeseburgers and cheesecakes fried in lard, dripped with sugar. It, it really doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> and so that's one core value. The other one is um, eat the rainbow. Just like eat different colorful foods, because unless you love cancer, 
you're going to want to do this because the colorful foods have all the anti-cancer, anti-disease nutrients in them. And then lastly is um, don't judge food, just like don't judge humans. Um, because as, as soon as you judge a food as being bad or good, um, it starts to play with your psychology where if you eat, you know, if, if, if you say, you know, cheeseburgers are bad and at some point you're going to eat a cheeseburger that is followed by guilt, 100%, right? Unless your moral values are, are twisted. We're like, I love doing bad stuff. That doesn't really, that's not the moral value of most people, right? And so, because for most people, they feel like I'm a, I'm a good human. And so when you do something bad, you're going to be followed by regret and guilt and all that stuff. And so ultimately, if you just allow yourself the emotional space to recognize, there'll be times that you're not going to eat super healthy and that's okay. It's, it's huge. How do you celebrate life? How do I celebrate life? You know, um, that's a great question. I feel like in the small moments as well. So just in um, everything in my life, I, I practice dichotomies. I practice the pendulum swing. Right. And so because to me, that's life. Um, most people say, oh, you got to be positive right, and avoid the negative or be this and not this. That's that just absurd to me. To me, it's like everything swings. You're not going to avoid the laws of the universe. Everything has cycles, Right. And so to me, celebrating life could be uh, it could be like a big trip with the Mavericks or with my family. But it also could be like I remember um, I was in Baltimore, you know, maybe a month ago and just looking at this amazing tree. It was like, you're like in awe of the beauty of this tree. So in, this, in the little moments, right? So there's celebrating life, you know, in the big experiences as well as the little moments um, and just kind of practicing both ends of the spectrum. Why do you think both of them have a role to play in your overall happiness? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, what the beauty of the little things is they're available every day, right? Like it doesn't matter what your income level is, your social status, your location geographically. Those little things are in front of you all the time. The beauty of that is unlimited resources of those little moments of wow. But obviously, celebrating the big things is also pretty awesome, right? And that's the opposite, which is getting together with a bunch of friends, you know, going to some pretty cool places. But if it's only one or the other, that's to me, that's the imbalance. You know, I feel like everything, you know, if you can just practice the spectrum of things. Right. Like to me, you know, like I don't believe like some people say, oh, fear is a negative emotion. And I was like, well, I don't know if a, if a tiger is running at you. Fear is probably useful. Like you yeah. run, be, like, yeah. be Zen because next moment you might be dead. Yeah. Right. So everything has its use. And so to me, you just embrace everything um, in, in the spectrum of everything. How do you embrace fear? Because that's something I've consistently been trying to explore personally in my own life the way it shows up and, and manifesting it and trying to add a label or a face to the shadow, it seems like that. So how, how do you, how do you manage your relationship with fear? Mm -hmm. um, like that particular emotion? Yeah. So uh, fear, like all emotions, right. In moments has its use, but in excess um, it doesn't even happiness. So you would think like, morning so even happy to think about you know there's all, all things like oh you got to be happy like imagine like everyone in your family just died in a plane crash are you supposed to be happy no right like if anyone that saw you know what was the movie that was animated where sadness was necessary to yeah, yeah 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 the right? um, inside out yes inside out right so um fear has its use however prolonged fear repeated cycles of it is not useful right and so how i manage a relationship is if it does show up repeatedly 
I would meditate or at least journal or just think about hmm, what, what about this pattern or these situations is repeating this fear and sitting with where is that fear coming from and how do you transform that fear into something else over time. And once you trans, it's all about the transformation. Once you transform it, then, then the, the pattern stops basically, right? And so that transformation, typically the path of that transformation comes from um, understanding and empathy typically. What does, um, what does your fear usually transform into? Yeah, so for sure when I, probably the last time I felt like fear was like, you know, when I, when I committed to a billion people in that moment, there was like, oh my God, that's like a, right? in the first moment, like, how am I gonna do this, right? And so there's all this fear of like, I may not have the resources, I may not be able to do it. So all this doubt and fear comes in. And so how I transformed, I just kind of sat and just thought, again, I anchored it back to an experience where I literally saw people get together and put together a plan that will affect 3 billion people. And I was done three hours, so 12 hours of planning, right? Was able to affect 3 billion people, right? And so I was like, oh, well, if that could happen, then, you know, me, with years to come, that was, a, that was like a three-year goal, right? And so with me for 20, 30, 40 years, a billion, probably not that improbable. And I thought about like, what are my networks? What, what's my community? I was like, oh, I have some people with some pretty amazing network and capabilities that I could, I could partner with and, and co-create with. So just kind of thought it through and I was like, oh, it's actually pretty doable. And if it's a fear, like, you know, I had a, um, a coworker earlier who, um, we just committed to like a team Spartan race, right? And she's like, oh, man, I'm afraid, like, because we want to do it at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. She's like, oh, I'm afraid to run the bleachers. What if I fall? And I was like, well, let's think this through. Um, how far would you fall if you missed a step? Two feet, three feet? You're not going to die. You might sprain something. You might break something. But luckily, you're here. Like, we're pretty good healers. Like, we could heal that. So we, we thought through, like, worst case scenario. She realized, she's like, oh, yeah, it's not that bad. So I was able to just transform that fear once you, once you face it and you step into it and it typically would transform into, into something else, some type of understanding, some kind of, some aha. I think the understanding is a key word because I don't think it ever goes away. Like I imagine the fear of helping a billion people comes back just in a different form, um, from a different angle, from one conversation with somebody who just reminds you of what you promised the world. Like, I don't think it comes away, but understanding it. So how many different times have you seen the same fear show up in your life and how many different transformations has that turned into? Yeah, that's such a good question for sure. Um, especially the beginning, right? When you first commit to that, it will show up in terms of, you know, you're, you're, you know the, the different resources or different potential obstacles start to show up. You're like, again, do I have enough time to do this? Do I have enough money and funding? Do I have enough, um, um, of a network. I mean, so every time, right, when one of those things come up, there's a little bit of fear that's brought out. But then interestingly, through every one of those obstacles, you know, it's like our vision here is to help people like see obstacles as opportunities. So I, my brain just kind of defaults to, well, what's the opportunity in that? Because every obstacle is an opportunity, right? Like that's as entrepreneurs, that's, that's our thing. Like there's an obstacle in a lack of like amazing fresh coffee, and then boom, right? And so every obstacle is an opportunity. So I just go to that. Right? So that's the obstacle that's creating the fear, how to just transform that obstacle into an opportunity. And then once you think through that, then the fear goes away because it's an opportunity now. How do you remind yourself of that opportunity? Because 
like, you know, it's in, in the moment, it's really, at least I'm taking speaking personally, like for me, it's like when I overcome it immediately, I get pumped and I'm excited. But then, you know, that, that, that emotion doesn't necessarily last. And I wish I could bottle it and take it with me. So I guess I'm asking you, how do you, how do you bottle that? Um, you know, it's, um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's unconscious mastery over time. I just got to be patient because in the beginning it is, it is this, um, um, mental, logical, high effort process, but like anything after you do it, like a hundred thousand times, it is just a unconscious, it's like built in, it's fully integrated and almost effortless. Right. And so I would say to you in the audience, everyone is just, there's no rush. We're, trust me, humans are going to live a lot longer than we think in the future. Right. Then I was remind myself of that, like, you know, loving your way to 150, I'm going to live at least to 150. There's a lot of time. And so give yourself the time and the space and patience to recognize that many of these things, if you're just starting on that journey, enjoy the journey. It is a, it's a, going to be a long journey, right? Mastery of certain things does take time. And so that allows you already, that permission allows you to not be like, okay, because so much stuff out there is saying you need to be ahead. You need to be here. And that adds to this fear and stress as if some, as just like you're behind on a race. There's no one racing you. Right? It's your life. There's no, there's no, you know, um, clone of you or like God isn't right here. Or the universe isn't saying, you know what, you're, you're behind. You, you need to catch up. That, that doesn't exist. It's all in our head. And so I think giving yourself the space and permission to kind of take your time on certain things um, helps you kind of see and practice this without the anxiety and stress and fear. Where do you think, besides society, but where do you think that intrinsic uh, need to go faster comes from. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, um, as a scientist, it is possible that in our biological makeup, or you can argue that in our biological makeup, the need to progress may be encoded and built in. That's a possibility, right? Um, but for sure through, um, I mean, just think, um, when we grew up, like if you, most people, when you, when you were young and let's say, um, you know, you got a, a B on your report card, it wasn't like your parents said, you know what, next time, can you make sure you shoot for a C because B's, B's too much, right? They're going to be like, you know what, great job, but you know what, I, I think you can do a B plus. I think you can do an A. And so from a very young age, from our parents, from, from mass media, like every commercial basically says you, you can be more and do more. And so there's a lot of programming into our subconscious that does perpetuate. And it's, you know, it's not a good and bad thing. We just, it's like you recognize that you live in a matrix and, and know that game, right? And so just kind of, so you're able to, from the outside looking in, understand where this innate drive is. It could be biological, but for sure it is influenced by, you know, society and, and media. Hmm. So that's why it's so important to have the right media and the right society and the right people in your life, because uh, those are the ones that are going to challenge what you say. For sure. I love it. I love it. Steve, you are like, God, man, you're like one of my favorite people in, <laughs> in the world. I just love listening to you speak. I like you, you make me happy. If I wanted to, or if anyone in the audience wanted to get involved in your world, learn more about these, these building blocks that you're helping people develop for themselves. How do they get involved? How do we support you? How do we be a part of this mission that you're building? Yeah. Yeah. So really the best way would be my personal blog page is just drdrsteveyoung.com, right? So you just kind of get a hold of me there. 
uh, it is me. It's like I actually personally answer questions uh, through that website. So yeah, that'd be the best point. Uh, and I would love to just, you know, connect with anyone, anything to do with like health, mindset, healing, even parenting, future, living longer, any of those topics, love to discuss. I love that. And I imagine a few people will be in touch. Um, Steve, I have a, uh, a closing question that I love to ask everybody. If I haven't asked you enough questions already. Um, <laughs> I love them all. <laughs> but uh, this closing question, in the midst of your life, from where you were to where you've come now, to the many times that your mission has grown and evolved, how do you stay grounded every single day? Hmm. Yeah. So. Um, how do I stay grounded? I feel like um, a little super short version. So when I first came to America, um, single parent, my mom, my brother and I, we, um, we literally like, you know, pick furniture from the trash. I thought it was the greatest country. It was like this free furniture. People put out free furniture. And our first place of living had no bathroom, no kitchen. It was just like a room with a bed. We literally had to like use, um, it was a trailer park. So we had to use another trailer to use their bathroom and stuff. And so, but when you're, when you're young, you know, I was eight at a time, like you didn't know better. That was like, that was life. And so those memories, um, definitely helped me stay grounded and appreciate every little thing. Yeah. And so just growing up with that experience, there's such great experience from that, you know, whether you, I don't even frame it as adversity, some people would, but just growing up with very little helps you appreciate every little thing. Does that, do you think that is largely why you feel so called to help people? Uh, for sure, seeing my mom work so hard in her life, I'm not sure at what age, but pretty young, I would say 10, 11, 12, this belief was embedded, which is I felt like my mom literally like sacrificed her life for my brother and I to, to make it in America. And at that age, I just kind of knew it'd be a waste if I didn't make something meaningful of my life. I feel like I'd be wasting two lives. And so that belief was instilled and that definitely is the, the main driver. I love that. Uh, Steve, you are an incredible human being. I'm so grateful that you, you came on and just shared everything with, with, with such an open heart. So I just want to acknowledge you for, for showing up the way you do and just for everything you do for people, uh, including me. Um, <laughs> so everybody, that is a wrap though for <laughs> this episode of the Stay Grounded podcast. We'll have all of uh, all of Steve's contact info and his show notes uh, available to all of you. So don't fret if you missed anything. Uh, but obviously this is recorded so you can go back and listen to it anyways. But uh, uh, yeah, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. So from me, Raj, and your friend Steve, uh, until next time, stay grounded. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of the Stay Grounded podcast brought to you by Java Press Coffee Company. My name is Raj. And I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to make daily happiness a priority. If you're interested in learning more about how your morning coffee can turn into a consistent source of joy in your life, visit www.javapress.com to learn how our products can help you do that and use the coupon code podcast for 10% off your purchase. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.